0: Good evening, one and all. Uh, We call the meeting to order. Recognize alternates. I see Eric. I'm filling in for John Thomas this evening. Okay. Brian Wayson is with us from North Liberty.
1: For Chris Hoffman. Yep.
0: Thank you both. Any other alternates? Anyone in an altered state?
1: (laughs) Don't ask. Okay. we got one taker down there. Later.
0: next we have consider approval of meeting minutes any additions or corrections to the minutes if not a motion to approve please
2: so moved taylor iowa city
0: thank you all those in favor say aye 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 Aye. all opposed motion carries set next board meeting date time and location january 26 is what you have down
1: yeah we always meet the last wednesday of january just so we have time to work with east central iowa council of governments to get our um well basically to get our data for the budgets together uh so this year would be no different i usually have a location but since this is our first meeting back in person i wasn't sure how it would go and what meeting space would work best so i put to be determined but as i usually do i'll send out the save the date um for that meeting about a month maybe five six weeks in advance so you'll have plenty of advance notice and i'll make sure to highlight it and bolt it and do all those things but um from here on out unless things change uh we should be meeting in person is is the the word i've got from the attorney's office so uh, makes a little bit harder for this group since we're coming from all over the place but it is what it is and we'll spread out and do the best we can to stay safe
0: so meeting place to be determined yet yeah okay Mm -hmm. Next item, public discussion of any item not on the agenda. Do we have persons present like to speak to the group?
1: If, if not, I just had a few things. I, I wanted to take just a minute to recognize a few outgoing board members, uh, which we do this time every year. Uh, we've also got some congratulations to be had for folks in the room. Uh, the first I will say is I've got a certificate of appreciation for here, who is not yet here tonight. Uh, Maza here has been on the board since 2018, um, and I will make sure that Maza here gets this uh, when I see her next. Uh, the next would be Susan Mims. Susan Mims is also leaving the Iowa City City Council. Uh, Susan has been on the board this board since 2010, and I think maybe missed two or three meetings uh, in that 10-year span. So She's been a good one. Yes, yes. Congratulations as soon as Susan as well. She was also the chair of the board in 2016 and 2017. I'll make sure Susan gets that as well. And then last but not least is our own chair, Terry Donahue. Terry, if I looked at this, uh, if I looked back correctly, has been on the board since 2011. I think this board obviously chaired this year as well as last year. Um, and I believe chair Terry came on after the 2010 census when North Liberty got their second seat on this board. So congratulations. Thanks to all three of those folks. And I can honestly say that Johnson County is in a better spot because of them, so.
0: Well, thank you. Okay, go to the administration category. Kent, you have the first one.
1: Yes. Central Iowa Council of Governments. Yes, thank you. Uh, And thanks everyone for coming uh, to our first meeting back in person. Uh, Kent Ralston, Executive Director of the MPO. Uh, As you may recall, uh, the MPOJC bylaws stipulating how appointments to the East Central Iowa Board of Directors were uh, revised and approved last year after some lengthy discussions. Uh, Per those revised bylaws, each January, the Johnson County Board of Supervisors will now appoint one elected official representative and then one citizen representative to the ECCOG board. And then this board will also appoint two elected official representatives to the ECCOG board uh, annually. So as noted in your packet, um, that first elected official seat and citizen representative are designated by the Board of Supervisors, uh, and that will happen indefinitely until we revise the the bylaws again someday, uh, perhaps. Uh, This year, uh, Rod Sullivan is on the board, and I'll see if Rod is going to continue in that position or if it's Roy Sand or someone else. And Donna Brooks was the citizen representative, and I'll also contact them and see uh, who they'd like to uh, represent them on the ECCOG board. Uh, second is one elected official seat will be filled by the four largest municipalities in Johnson County, which will alternate annually. Uh, the 2022 representative this year is to be designated by the City of Iowa City, and under the old set of bylaws, uh, currently uh, Lauren Whitehead with the Mayor Pro Tem from the City of Solon is on the, the ECIG board. So uh, Mayor Pro Tem will be sliding off, and then someone will be represented from the City of Iowa City. And then last, uh, one elected official seat would be filled by the remaining municipalities, which will rotate annually. Uh, the 2022 representative is to be designated by the city of Lone Tree. And currently, uh, Louise Fromm, mayor of uh, University of Heights, is sitting on that board and will rotate off. Uh, all contact Johnson County, uh, Iowa City and Lone Tree and request that they designate someone for the board. And then that will be brought to you back uh, in January, brought back to you in January uh basically just for for your approval and i'm happy to answer any questions that you might have questions okay thank you appoint
0: nominating committee for calendar year 2022 it's yours again
1: yeah thanks so as we do every year uh, at your next meeting you will elect a chairperson and vice chairperson for the calendar 2022 urbanized area policy Mm -hmm. board Uh, the chairperson is obviously uh, responsible for presiding over meetings of the board and the chairperson and or director are also responsible for signing contracts and documents throughout the year Uh, as director it's been my practice to discuss agenda items and major work program activities which uh, the chair and i do prior to most meetings and then of course the vice chairperson presides over the meetings when the chair is not available Uh, What I'd like from the board today is that you please consider appointing a three-person nominating committee to recommend the chair and vice chair uh, for next year's board. And currently the chair, obviously, is Terry Donahue. Uh, The mayor uh, will be rotating off this year as he will no longer be in office. And the vice chair, John Thomas, uh, has also served two years as vice chair. So both of those positions have a two-year maximum term limit. But it's important to know that the vice chair can become chair and then serve two years. So just a little bit. Confusing. Uh, I'm happy to answer any questions you have um, and look for those that three-person nominating committee. Typically, the committee meets uh, either by phone, maybe through emails, or sits down and has coffee and just kind of talks it through uh, and then reports back to me. So, looking for three volunteers, ideally from different communities. Uh, it doesn't have to be that way, but that would work out best. How volunteer can? Thank you, Louise. Good
0: thing because you were going to get it regardless. <laughs>
1: Thanks, oh, thank you, Lori. Number three. Thank you, Janice. Thank you. Great. So I will reach out to you three here uh, within the next week or so and just kind of provide you with some background information. Uh, also included in the packet was the long list uh, all the way back to 1981 of chairpersons of the, the MPO. Thank you very much. Thank you.
0: Item 3C, preliminary discussion of the fiscal 23 uh, MPO budget.
1: Yeah, thanks. Prior to the preparation of the MPO budget for consideration at your next meeting, uh, it's been my practice to discuss proposed changes to the MPO with you uh, in advance uh, with regards to either scopes of services or operations uh, that we have. Uh, The focus and purpose of the MPO remains to fulfill requirements necessary for local communities to receive state and federal funding. Uh, to produce uh, professional studies to support transportation-related decisions uh, which can also include capital improvement program items, to coordinate transit and transit reporting consistent with federal guidelines for Iowa City Transit, Coralville Transit, as well as the University of Iowa's CamBus bus system, uh, to assist local entities with review of development proposals, which we've been doing more and more of, and then to serve as a forum for other issues that may pop up uh, throughout the year that have a sort of a countywide interest Uh, Capital expenses for FY23 are expected to be very similar to recent years, uh, which has also been the case um, at least for the last three or four years. Uh, I'm not proposing any new changes to the level of MPO staffing for FY23, uh, nor any additional scope of services. Uh, It looks like about a 3.9% increase in the total MPO budget, uh, primarily due to annual increases in salaries and health benefits. Uh, in fact, of the estimated r- roughly about $30,000 increase that I see, about 75% of that's just for wages and uh, health care costs, uh, nothing new there. Uh, I anticipate using about $230,000 of the Iowa DOT's PL funds, or planning funds as we call them, uh, which has been done in years past, and I also anticipate utilizing about $50,000 worth of our own internal um, MPO reserves. Both of those sort of had a have a rule of thumb about how much we like to keep uh, in the bank, so to speak, and using the two hundred and thirty thousand dollars and the fifty thousand dollars kind of puts us about where we need to be. Uh, I will say that with the recent federal legislation that was passed, uh, there has been talk of mPOs receiving more PL funds. I don't know how serious that is and and I'll keep you all posted if we do receive more PL funds for fy twenty three it's possible that we may either need to reduce assessments to the communities, which of course be a good thing, or possibly use those PL funds in FY24, and then we'll have to juggle our assessments. But either way, if the MPO gets more funding, it's good for for all of our uh, respective organizations. So I'll keep you posted on that. And uh, the formal budget will of course then come back to you at your January meeting for approval. But again, pretty much status quo as it has been in years past. And I'm happy to answer any questions that you all might have for me
0: afternoon any questions okay we'll move ahead brad you're next up title six compliance plan yes thank you uh brad
3: newman associate transportation planner um because the mpo receives federal funding can everybody hear me okay with the mask and i want to take it off with louise sitting this close so um we're required to have an approved title six compliance program uh, this document is prepared for the Federal Transit Administration and is required every three years. Um, it's, we don't confuse this with the Federal Highway Administration version of the Title VI. That was separate, and you approved that years ago. Uh, and then we also uh, provide, uh, we actually prepare the Title VI programs for the three transit agencies on their behalf. So a lot of Title VI documents out there. Uh, The Title VI program assures non-discrimination as outlined in the Civil Rights Act and prohibits discrimination on the basis of race, color, or national origin. Uh, The attached document provides guidelines for the MPO to follow in order to comply with all uh, Title VI requirements. Uh, Also included in the uh, document is a limited English proficiency assessment uh, which helps in our language assistance program. Uh, we also include the MPO's public participation plan, uh, which was approved by the board back in 2017 and I believe it's due for updating probably in the spring. Uh, the policy statement and assurances have been signed by the MPO director Kent Ralston and the Iowa City Civil Rights Coordinator. Um, she is part of the, um, the complaint process uh through and we operate through the city of iowa city so she has reviewed and signed the document as well uh, the title six plan is uh, uh can be found on our mpo website as well as the complaint forms uh, i do want to point out one thing on page 42 which is attachment e there are three maps um, that we have not updated yet but we will get those updated uh, before we submit to the dot Uh, The Technical Advisory Committee recommended approval of the Title VI at their meeting last week. Uh, And staff is requesting approval of the uh, Title VI compliance program and the resolution, which we'll have Terry sign. Are there any questions on the plan or the process? Otherwise, we're looking for approval. Any questions?
0: If not, asking for someone to establish the resolution in regards to the Title VI compliance program, please. So moved. Is there a second? Second. Thank yes. you. Final discussion or questions?
4: Just a clarification for me. I noticed in the report there hasn't been any complaints in the past three years, which is good. And if there were, is the. Are you guys the governing authority for those matters, or does Corvallis can take care of it? Is it a dual path? Just kind of curious how those are resolved.
1: Yeah, it, it is a good thing that we've not had any complaints. Um, my take on it would be that we would handle those in coordination with whoever system it may have occurred on, or if it's just a, or it if it's just, just against be with the, the MPO. MPO itself. So okay. it'd be through Iowa City. Yeah.
4: Okay. So, yeah, we so had and, on yeah, Canvas, we would yeah. actually. Okay. Yes. But then
1: that. if it was, you know, if it had, if the complaint was directed towards me, for instance, then we would work with Iowa City and Stephanie sure. Bowers in and the And, the, uh,
3: and if the it's with Canvas that provisions. would be through their Title VI program. Right. Oh, okay. And okay. Which
1: would go through the university. Right. Right. So. Okay. But yeah, we would use Iowa City like, for our human yeah. rights yeah. coordinator. The wording
4: felt like it, it lifted into, the, yeah, but
1: yeah. that yeah.
0: makes sense. Thank yeah. you. Any other questions? <clears throat> All those in favor, say aye. 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 Any opposition, say no. Resolution passes. Brad, you have the next one? I do. Uh, This is in regard to
3: staff authorization uh, for the Federal Transit Administration.
5: Uh,
3: In May of 2018, the MPO board approved agreements with Iowa City Transit, Corville Transit, and University of Iowa CAM bus identifying specific mutual responsibilities that are be, are to be performed by the MPO and the transit agencies. This is something that is required. Since we receive federal money, uh, the transit agencies are the recipient of those funds, so we have to have agreements outlining responsibilities. As part of that agreement process, we're required uh, to designate um, a specific MPO staff person to implement these agreed upon activities. Uh, I am currently listed as the person to carry those uh, items out and work with transit uh, to get theirs done as well. Uh, but now the MPO is—we're uh, like to name Frank Wasith, who's been on staff here for what three years—as um, the new authorized designee um staff is requesting approval of the change and approval of the authorizing designation letter which we will have terry sign Uh, and there is no change to the transit agreements Um, but i think we'll probably end up looking reviewing those here in the near future after we have some triennial reviews coming up in the spring Uh, probably need to update that Um, technical advisory committee recommended approval is there any questions on that document this document will be signed by the chair and then we'll send that down to federal transit in kansas city and start that process of uh, moving everything over to frank's name which yeah, is great <laughs>
1: <laughs> any questions for brad on this yeah the long the long of the short is we just need to have someone designated to basically sign those documents and send to the fta and we just like to change that to frank <laughs>
0: therefore we're asking for a mis- motion from the group to um motion let the to approve. authorize the designation motion to
3: approve. Second. thank you is there
0: a second I'll second thank you Janice all those in favor say aye
3: aye, aye.
0: aye. all opposed motion carries
1: thanks Brad thank you Kent
0: transportation planning a
1: Yes, thank you. So as many of you may recall, the Federal Highway Administration now requires the MPO set targets for five safety performance measures as part of the Highway Safety Improvement Program and report them to the DOT uh, by February of each year. Uh, we've done this, I think now for four years, but for each measure, we either need to choose one or two options. We either need to support the state's 21 targets, which are in your packet for review uh, by agreeing to plan and program projects so they contribute to those goals, or we need to set our own goals. Uh, In either event, we're required to state how our annual projects programmed in our TIP uh, help support those goals. And we would also have to do the same thing in our long range plan, uh, which we have an agenda item later to discuss tonight uh, and is also due in May. So we're working on both of those things. Uh, Similar to past years, I would recommend that we again adopt the state's targets uh, if I don't see a clear benefit to adopting our own right now. And if at any given time we want to do that, we can start that process uh, prior to February of each year. Uh, So that is my recommendation. Uh, I have attached supporting information from the DOT for your reference. And then last week uh, at their November 9th meeting, the Transportation Technical Advisory Committee unanimously approved adopting the state's targets as well. And I'm happy to answer any questions that you might have.
0: Okay. In relation to the state targets, the group, namely your people, keep track of against it, what's going on. So you can do a comparison analysis.
1: Correct. So when we so when we for instance, when we program uh, everyone's projects, so if you receive funding through the MPO when you program those projects, we have to basically state how that project helps meet these goals of keeping a uh, number of fatalities low or the number of serious injuries down the issue and this is part of the reason why i don't see a clear benefit to actually adopting our own targets is that we even have scoring criteria when we allocate funds um, that give more points for projects that have safety improvements uh within them or or that sort of thing so i don't see a clear benefit to doing this right now but like i say at any given time we want to we certainly can Um, and if you think about some of these two uh like for instance number of fatalities if the state's target is 337.8, uh, you know, here in Iowa City, Fort, well, in Coralville, our urban area, fortunately, we really, you know, we may have a fatality or two each year on average, most of which are out on the interstate. So, you know, when you look at setting a goal, the goal would have to be zero. And then at some, at some point, if there's any teeth put to this by the Federal Highway Administration, then it worries me a little bit that if we have a fatality, what's that do to our funding? You know, and they haven't, we haven't got to that point yet but i think that's probably coming at some point because i don't see the 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 reason to have safety criteria if you're not actually going to put some teeth behind them so so anyway that's been my my rationale in the past but like i said i just don't see a clear benefit to actually creating our own at this point any comments It was a long-winded answer but uh it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense i think at this point
0: We would ask the group to uh, consider approval of the safety targets and performance measures, please.
6: I'll move to adopt the state's targets.
0: Thank you, is there a second? Second. Thanks, Lori, right? It's hard to tell with a mask. (laughs) Okay, all those in favor say aye. 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 All opposed, motion carries. Emily. Thank you.
7: good afternoon emily bothell i'm the senior associate transportation planner so we have been very busy recently updating our travel demand model um, that's updated every time we update our long-range transportation plan and drafting plan chapters since your july meeting Um, attached you will find a couple draft chapters for your review they are the regional context chapter and the road and bridge chapter you may notice that they appear a little grainy um, in the the document you received this is just the way that it was scanned in and shared with you all if you would like a cleaner um, version right now um, you can always go to the mpo's website under the long range transportation plan page and we have pdfs of all the draft chapters that are currently available Um, this will also be completely corrected once we get that final draft document to you all early next year um you'll notice some content in the road and bridge chapter is also marked as draft or not yet available and this is just because we're drafting content as material and data becomes available to us um, this is also why you may not receive all of the chapters sequentially and you'll receive um, what's noted in the memo um, early next year The board will also have an opportunity to review the full document in its entirety um, probably in march and at that time we will also give a brief presentation um, pointing out um, some content that is of importance for the metro region as a reminder this is an update to the last plan and so the layout does remain the same Um, each modal chapter has general statistics of that mode it has a vision Um, we have challenges and opportunities and successes and you'll also find the fiscally constrained road and bridge projects within that road and bridge chapter. We enhanced tables, charts, and maps throughout the planning document. And we also added a COVID section um, where we can, um, we discuss the impacts of the pandemic. So for the road and bridge chapter, um, we note the decrease in vehicle miles traveled and um, the impact on road use tax funds that are associated with that um we wanted to get these chapters in your hands early so you have an opportunity to get a first look at them um you again will have another look at them early next year um we don't need approval of these chapters tonight but if you have any feedback or questions for us we would be happy to to take that back and and work on it before um, we get the final draft document to you all
0: any interim questions If not, thank you. Okay,
7: thank you all.
1: Brad, we
0: have you up next.
1: Yeah, and I'll I'll quickly just tee this up while Brad's getting to the podium. Um, Before Brad starts uh, on the discussion of Kranich Passenger Rail and potential next steps, I was just going to mention that I think Brad will give a quick and brief um, update about where we've been. As I think most of you will remember, we've done two or three different studies now on passenger transportation on the Kranich Rail. And then we were fortunate enough to have amanda martin and tammy nicholson from the dot join us Uh, amanda is the rail director for the dot and tammy is the remind me the modal division thank you thank you and we appreciate both of them coming very much uh so i think then uh, we'll look to those two just to give us a quick update on state of rail in iowa and anything else that they they find useful and then i think then we'll shift to the board and have a have a quick discussion
3: Uh, Yeah, like uh, Kent said, we've got some folks here from the DOT that will give a quick update after I give my update, I guess. Um, I just wanted to remind you uh, of the three studies that we've done since 2015 on passenger rail. Um, Initially we looked at, at phase one, we looked at Iowa City to Cedar Rapids um, as part of that study, Uh, and at the time it was determined that it was feasible to implement between Iowa City and North Liberty and it was based on the cost and ridership projections at the time. And the recommendation then was for Cedar Rapids would be done in a a future phase. Um, Phase two, of course, then narrowed that focus down to Iowa City to North Liberty. And that was between uh, Gilbert Street here in Iowa City, just right out here actually, and Forever Green Road in North Liberty. Uh, Phase three, uh, extended the route to Penn Street and North Liberty and focused more on specific ridership and cost estimates and also focused on getting us ready for future grant applications through the uh, federal government. Uh, the studies, these were all completed in 2020. Uh, phase three was uh, also presented to a group of stakeholders uh, within the urbanized area. Uh, some of you may have been um, part of that. And I just wanted to remind you real quick some of the highlights that came out of those studies. Um, Again, the focus area was on a 9.1 mile rail segment between Gilbert Street and Iowa City and Penn Street and North Liberty. It included service every 30 minutes between 6 a.m. and 7 p.m. seven days a week. Included the purchase of six new self-propelled push-pull configuration rail cars uh, seating 75 to 85 people per car and included ADA accommodations and bicycle storage. Um, The ridership forecast was about 1.4 million passengers per year um, and just under 1.8 million passengers per year by 2027. This is comparable to the Eastern Iowa Airport at 1.3 million passengers. That was in 2019. And Iowa City Transit served 1.4 million passengers in 2019. Those were all, we used 2019 because that was pre-COVID. Last year we had good numbers. Um, Also included a $55 million upfront capital expenditure, um, 4.8 million in annual operating and maintenance costs, uh, and about 2.1 million in fare revenue. And this was about $1.50 per fare. It was based on that ridership number. And that left about $2.7 million in additional funding annually. Um, Krantic, since that time, has indicated that they are currently not interested in developing a trail on that segment uh, and may be willing to assist in the financing of the passenger rail project. Of course, that statement, again, was pre-COVID, so we'll have to go back to them and see how things are um, now so with that update uh, again the all our studies are on our website if you want to read those specifically Um, phase three is probably the best one to get familiar with i think is the most um, valuable Um, i think amanda you wanted to have some say some things and then we'll get going into discussion
1: yeah i would mention just quickly too that when we did those studies it was important to the the Cranick railroad as well as the mpo staff as well as the board to actually make those ridership numbers um basically fta friendly meaning that if we wanted to ever apply for fta funds that survey was conducted in such a way that they would actually accept the survey so that's just one thing that um, i've always found was important i think was showed some good foresight at least for this board to have the ability to get that far down the road So that if and when we ever do want to apply for funding we don't have to start the process all back over again so just something i wanted to note quickly
8: okay well thank you for having me here um so i just got i just realized something as i was sitting over there i was realizing that we have we've looked at passenger rail from chicago to iowa city we've looked at commuter rail from iowa city to north liberty and we're doing a huge project out here at i380 so you guys are really getting a lot of attention and i think that must say a lot for you guys so (laughs) Hopefully, you guys are noticing that we're excited about the things we want to do in Iowa City to improve the area and the region. So, anyway, um, we've participated in all three studies, as mentioned earlier. We've financially contributed to all three studies, and we felt that it was important. We're a multimodal agency, and so I work with specifically with rail. Tammy works with rail, aviation, and transit. We obviously we do highway um, and bike ped. But the thing that is so unique about this particular opportunity is that you don't have a short line or a class one railroad for that matter this is a short line uh, railroad coming to the table and saying we want to offer something to the community related to passenger rail um that just doesn't happen and so most of the time passenger rail is something that the freight railroads try to stay away from Um, obviously this corridor has some unique um, aspects to it. It was originally developed for passenger rail or commuter rail and so it's a very um, great opportunity in that way because a lot of times when you're trying to introduce passenger rail you're looking at a lot of investment um, because there's a lot of at-grade crossings there is infrastructure that needs to be built, um, there's just not opportunities for stations to be designed and developed along the corridor and so on and so forth and so the, the unique opportunity you have here is an opportunity that folks between Des Moines and Ames want because we get calls all the time literally and r- most frequently since these studies were done we get a lot of calls from those folks saying we would like to know can you guys do a study and, and plan between Des Moines and Ames which you know it's a similar sort of type of thing you know you got university a bigger community you know regional regional area and so folks want to commute there's lots of commute between those two areas and there's a major transportation corridor right next to it a highway corridor And so um, we get those calls, we get those questions through our NEPA process with the public involvement. So those questions and comments come through all sorts of avenues. And so the unfortunate part is we have to say a lot of that corridor is abandoned uh, um, over in, in the western part of, or the central part of the state. And so we don't have that opportunity there to introduce this sort of thing that you guys are able to introduce. So I just wanted to mention that as a preface because that's something that's very unique to this opportunity. As I mentioned, we're a multimodal agency, so we work with Crandic um, a lot, and obviously we work with the MPOs and RPAs as mentioned all the funding that streams through the DOT. And so we hope for, hopefully we're a good partner with you guys and that in the future if there is an opportunity for this service to be up and running, we can continue to be a partner. Um, we do recognize that there would have to be a locally led effort because we do not have funding Within our agency to lead this type of effort, but there is, as mentioned, with the um, Small Starts program, the FTA Small Starts, there is um, quite a bit of of legwork that has to occur to get that application up and going. And so, Iowa DOT has committed to helping with that sort of effort and administration of those types of things. Um, obviously, you guys would have to to work out all the details with the funding and but there might be some things that, you know, some programs we have that potentially could help as well. We just would have to consider all that as we move forward. We've never done commuter rail, but we're willing to help see what we can make happen. And so I just wanted to mention that. And was there any questions? Um, There was one other thing. Um, You guys had asked about the small starts. So um, small starts, is for projects that are less than 300 so this is the fta federal funding program small starts are projects that are less than 300 million um, in total and um let's see in total smaller starts funding sought is less than hundred million so this that's probably where this this project would fall under and so with the um, infrastructure money it's going from 300 million to 400 million and eligibility going from 150 million up from the previous hundred million for what I mentioned just before. So that's good for the program because when we originally started looking at this effort, we weren't sure if it was, if Small Starts was going to go away. Um, but obviously it's still around, it's still available, and so that's that's exciting to know, to know as well. Um, I mentioned a little bit about Chicago to Iowa City. We did, we finished, that's the passenger rail or the inner city passenger rail study that we started working on um, actually since the Midwest Regional Rail Initiative started in 1996 um, but we actually applied for funding with Illinois DOT in 2009 and 10 and received a grant we finished a, a corridor study a high-level planning study at the end of last year and right now we're just waiting to see what happens with Illinois because really you know we need the service needs to get to Moline and then we can see what else we can do so that's kind of where that sits For the commuter rail for the from North Liberty Iowa City Um, I guess I'm not absolutely sure like a less robust program I suppose there's that possibility I think the the consultants and correct me if I'm wrong they kind of found like the sweet spot of what we would want to start out with to make it most effective Um, because sometimes if you go too small um, you don't you know get that ridership and revenue that you need to kind of really balance things out. So I think that what they put together, they really evaluated that closely to make sure that it was the right start.
1: Yeah. I think that's I think that's accurate. Laurie and at, at one point in time, maybe this has been 3 or 4, maybe even 5 years ago, there was a private group that was rehabbing old like London subway cars that had contacted us and you know i don't know how serious they were about it but at one point they actually wanted to bring some some cars here and basically run up and down the Cranick line really with like just a few stops and really basic infrastructure and i think after talking to them more about it they even realized that without you kind of have to almost go a little bit bigger just to make it just to make a good run at it basically because otherwise I mean, yeah, people can get a flavor for riding a train up and down the tracks, but the times would have been so much slower because the safety equipment wouldn't have been there that it's sort of like, um, it's a little disingenuous because you put them on a train that goes, I forget what the speed was at the time, but it could only go maybe 20 or 30 mile an hour, where with the safety improvements that can be made, it goes 40 or 50 mile an hour, and don't quote me on those numbers, but it was something to that effect where they just thought, you know, it's really not worth doing this unless you sort of just jump in with both feet. I think that was what we got. Now, that was a private group that came to that conclusion. Uh, but then i think as amanda mentioned i think our our consultants came to the same conclusion that it's sort of like you know the ridership's going to be there you may as well just invest in it and do it the right way from the get-go and just there's some cost savings there too you know from starting off too small and then having to sort of reinvent the wheel and add to it
3: i think that the frequency of service was key to the study in order to achieve that every 30 minutes you needed so much equipment to do that and i think it's designed there's six cars that were proposed so two operating in one direction, two the other, and then you have two spares because if they go down, it really hurts your system. So you have to keep rotating those in and out. But that's what the study entailed. But it was the frequency they were looking at. And Otherwise, you wouldn't get the ridership.
1: Yeah. And you know, I, I'm, it's, it's no secret that I'm a proponent of the rail. I think you know, it's, whether it happens now or in 10 years or 20 years or 30 years, I think it will happen eventually um the one thing I do mention to people and I may have mentioned this group before is that uh the 83 interchange which we're very thankful for the DOT's um help with that and funding that but you know that's a 350 400 million dollar project whereas this rail we're in the more like 500 or excuse me 50 million dollar price range so you know if one interchange is 350 or 400 million it seems to me that adding a completely new mode to our area for maybe 50 million you know that is shared between you know five, six, seven, eight entities, however may, would participate potentially, seems actually sort of like a bargain to me. You know, in transportation dollars, it's really a fairly small amount of dollars for something that major. So uh, still a lot of money to be sure, but um, you know, for transportation, it's really not a huge number uh, when road reconstruction projects in all of our communities, you know, are six, eight, $10 million uh, pretty regularly.
8: Tammy, go ahead. Yeah, I don't have a microphone.
4: It's fine, you're you're fine, yeah. uh,
2: So I'll just add a couple, a little bit, one anecdotal, one more period. but the um, the I380 bus express, you know, that's been going, um, that, and we were just recently looking at the numbers for that. And even with the pan, you know, it started just before the pandemic and then ridership was going up to not quite, but getting, it was, it was on a nice trajectory to what the estimates were. And then of course it fell back, but it's back on that trajectory. And so I think, and that goes all the way from Cedar Rapids here, but, I think that demonstrates the 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 recon, couple of things the recognition of the uh, from the department of the importance of the the the, trans, the transportation between in this area, and then also just the um, the need for that for those additional modes and, and services for the people in the area, and the and the willingness for people to to ride it in the bus even in these difficult circumstances. So, to me, that is a that is a sign of, oh, this is this is viable, this is something viable. Um, and then the other thing is, I guess I have two more things, but this, this uh, route that we have here is, as Amanda uh, alluded to, all over the place, because we used to have 10,000 miles of rail, something like that, and we're well, under 4,000 now, yeah. maybe? Um, right
8: around 4,000.
2: That have been abandoned, and so there's all kinds of places that, you know, there was rail, either freight rail, mostly freight rail, um, but it had passenger that aren't there anymore, and this is such a unique, unique corridor, is that it was built for passenger rail. It wasn't built for freight. So you're not having to convert it to a freight rail and deal with, with a lot of issues that converting something to freight to passenger has. It was built for passenger, which makes it just, yeah, we, you know, really, I'm really passionate about trying to, to get this to move forward. And then my, my anecdotal story is my, um, my uncle, who's a World War II vet, went to University of Iowa, so he always still goes, he's like 93, he still goes to University of Iowa, watch football, watch games and stuff like that. I don't think the service was in service when he was in college, it had just stopped. I can't remember the years exactly, but when I think about this corridor, I think of my uncle Wallace and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, when he was young, this this was maybe still running way back when, he used to ship his dirty laundry home on train to his mother and counts of bluffs to wash. Isn't that a weird world that he lived in? <laughs> but, uh, but I think just, just I would just want to emphasize like the uniqueness of this corridor in Iowa. Um, like if, if commuter rail, passenger rail is gonna start, like this is, this is the opportunity. So just wanted to, to kind of say that from uh, both us. Per DOT perspective but also my personal perspective there too. So.
8: And with commuter rail versus inner city passenger rail because of you know the dynamics of it there's a lot of economic development that grows along that corridor and so we have talked to several other states we've talked to other cities that have passenger rail commuter rail um, or commuter rail light rail and they said that it's there's just stuff that comes up and of course there's no way to know for sure there's no way to really uh, capture that because it's it's a potential but everybody we ever talked to says yep there's economic development that occurs and it's way usually way more than anybody anticipates and so because there'll be several stations and there'll be several stops the folks coming into town will be able to utilize it the people in the coming from this area for tourism will be able to utilize it the locals will be able to utilize it it could it end up being a, a really great opportunity um, for folks along that corridor and developers and others, communities along that corridor, so.
1: Yeah, I agree, and you know, I don't, it's not my place to push this uh, project. You know, we work for you all, but I would add to that um, you're all aware of your road projects that occur in your communities. As I mentioned to you earlier, it's not unusual to have a six to $10 million road reconstruction project in any of our communities. Um, the, the thing about those are is, you know, we, we work through those projects, but we don't necessarily always worry about the ridership. You know, in this case, it would be, volume you know traffic volume this as i mentioned earlier you know when we did the studies it was set up to be able to to apply for fta funding but i also don't want everybody to get too caught up in the ridership number either because the actual ridership number only provides so much towards the service itself just like our transit systems do they don't you know they don't prop themselves up the ridership and the fares definitely help uh, but they're heavily subsidized and it's the same with road projects it would be the same with this so i think You know when we look at those road projects we don't worry always about how much traffic will be on those roadways it's just we know they're necessary to get folks where they need to go so i i I think too in years past we've been a little more hung up on ridership maybe than we should be and i think we may need to look as amanda mentioned just more at the sort of the intangibles which is difficult i know but i think that's something that is worth thinking about as well
8: and also um, another thing that i've noticed when i've ridden light rail or commuter rail is there is advertisements inside the you know equipment a lot of times that helps pay for things Um, we all know advertising is extremely expensive business and so a lot of money can be generated through those types of avenues as well as the station stops so depending on what the community would want that to look like um, there is a lot of potential to support that with additional marketing funds um, and those types of things
0: laura i'm going to put you on the spot i know that you had a big interest in this i just want to make sure your questions and comments are heard
6: Oh, thank you, Terry. I appreciate that. Yeah, I've reached out to many of you uh, individually before today, um, just kind of based on my interest. Thank you for the storytelling. So I'm going to just tell a really quick story. Um, 20-plus years ago, I knew Terry because I worked for the City of North Liberty. And at the time, I uh, was making an oral history project where I gathered videos of the oldest residents of the community and some of my favorites. Uh, One gentleman named Homer Riggle. Homer Riggle was 90 years old when I interviewed him, and he talked about riding the Crandick Rail. called it the vomit comet. It will be much smoother (laughs) if we bring it back. Um, But that was really impactful just to hear how transformative it was for families, business people, um, students at the university, just getting between the communities in such an efficient way. And when we think about our ability to move people in the corridor now, it really is so entirely dependent on 380 and on Coral Ridge Avenue, 965 Rancho Way. That it, it's and it's only going to get worse as our communities grow so so rapidly. So we really need to look at an alternative mode to be able to move people. So um, yes, this is a little bit of my passion project because a year ago when this uh, Phase Three study was presented to us, I think I said to Kent, you know, kind of like, what's what's missing? What do we need to do to move this forward? And he said, the political will. I said okay well i think we can do something about that because we can work together and i think what the what the pandemic has shown us is certainly that our communities are working together we have collaborated now i've lived here my entire life and i think we have collaborated as a corridor north liberty Coraville. <laughs> Iowa City, the County of Johnson County, the University of Iowa, University Heights, Tiffin. We are now working together in ways and collaborating on projects that I haven't seen in my lifetime. So I think the time is really right. And when the University of Iowa Healthcare um, got their certificate of need approved for this $400 million hospital that's going to be built 0.2 miles from this track, I thought, boy, that might be good for them as well for their workforce development. And as you mentioned, Amanda, the economic development potential when I think of our communities and the real estate that is available, the affordable housing that's already situated along the tracks, the ability to give people the opportunity to move who may not have a car, can't rely on a car, choose not to rely on a car, and the climate impact of being able to shift, hopefully, a significant portion of our transportation north-south to rail instead of the roads. So that's kind of my pitch, and I'm hoping that we can together maybe give staff a little bit of direction on what next steps could be, or even consider forming a committee of this group to keep this moving forward, to keep meeting, to keep pushing so that we don't lose track of it.
0: Did you have anything else? I have
8: nothing else. I just was here to do the rah rah, let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
0: I, I know that i had hmm. brought to your attention we kind of discussed it before about the specific federal funding and they we thought at that time it may go dedicated to like amtrak mm-hmm. style right is that still true
1: um yeah and maybe the dot can speak to this more than i can but so yeah i don't think my perception is is that the amtrak money won't be available for this um but there I think with the federal transportation bill that was passed, or the federal infrastructure bill that was passed, I mean, I think the sky's sort of the limit on the things we could apply for. Now, I may be speaking out of turn, but there are huge grants out there. There's BUILD grants. There's obviously the small starts money that's always there. Um, and, and there's a whole slew of other programs. So I think there's, there's a lot of different approaches we could take. I'll be honest with you, I don't know what those all are right now, uh, but there is a ton of money out there. And I think, you know, it, that's certainly something we can look into is what's available. Um, and like I say, with that new infrastructure bill, um, I had something come across my desk the other day, and there's there's something like 60 or 80 different categories that are provided in there. So I think it, not unlike any other big infrastructure project, if this were to ever move forward, I would probably see a number of different funding sources helping. Um, I know that gets a little sticky with federal funding, but, um, you know, it, to me seems like one of those things that you can piecemeal together as well. The, Sorry, I was gonna say the one other thing that I didn't mention too. Um, you know, when Alliant, so Cranick so Railroad is basically um, Alliant Energy. Alliant Energy, it's a subsidiary of Alliant Energy. When we talked about this years ago, Alliant was a little bit more forthcoming in their ability to potentially help fund something too. And I won't say, they never said what they could help fund or what that structure would look like, but they, they were open to potentially, you know, helping in some way. Um, I did talk to Jeff Woods, who is the Cranick representative that's been our contact. And he said, yeah, you know, with COVID, things are a little different now. And he said, I, "I, you know, I really can't speak to it, but I also think there's the potential for a public-private partnership as well. Um, you know, the devil's in the details, but I think certainly Alliant Energy and Crandick, uh, like I think Amanda mentioned, I mean, they actually brought this to us years ago. We weren't seeking this. They said, hey, we've got this resource. You know, what do you say? You know, what would the communities want to do? Um, which, is, which is unique, as Amanda mentioned. So, so there's that other opportunity to, to You know should should we get down the road here a little bit further and and want to try and do something uh that would certainly be a conversation to be had too
0: so the question is how do we get it moving
1: yeah like laura mentioned i mean if if you know we take direction from the board um if the board says you know staff move forward i don't i'll be honest with you i don't know what the next steps would even be exactly but that i think is the next step is figure out what we do from here uh, we've never really sort of got over that hump just yet on, on what that next step looks like. The studies do provide some information about what, what we need to do in the bigger term. Um, but I certainly think if the board says, yeah, we're ready to start investigating this further, we will do that, you know, whatever it looks like. Uh, our long range plan, which Emily just, uh, we had an agenda item for, is due every five years. Um, that's in addition to our normal work, obviously. That actually will be done in May. It has to be, because we have to be done with it. So. In, in addition to our normal work, I think we do have a little bit of, you know, we, we'll have a little bit extra time that we are working on the long range plan that we can shift into something else. So, so we've, we've got a little bit of time we can, we can put to this um, if that's the will of the board, and then we'll just kind of figure out what we need to do.
0: Would it be out of the question to come back in January when you got all the new fresh faces mm-hmm. and stuff and work toward, like Laura says, at least in an interim working committee in conjunction with the n p o yeah, start dragging this thing down, it, working on it
1: I, I think that's certainly possible if that's what the board gives us direction to do, I mean we could certainly grab a member from each community um I also want to respect you know I've talked to Aaron about this in the past too, and there are concerns you know how this affects trans and other things. It's not all <laughs> without without that discussion too um but yeah i think I think you know kind of the sky's the limit, and I think if this board says. We at least want to start investigating this further. I think we can get a committee together or internally just look and see what those next steps are. So at a minimum, I think we can come back in January and say, okay, we've we've actually given this some thought now. Or if we get that direction in January, come back at our March meeting and say we've given this some thought now. Here's here's what we think the next, you know, five steps are.
0: Well, let's mark it up for January for a discussion and try to move it down.
9: Okay. I, yeah, I would add that I, I'm a huge fan of rail for all the for all the reasons that that all of you especially Laura listed there are plenty of people who don't have cars there are plenty of people we want to, ideally we want to take vehicles off the road uh and if if you have a big facility going up for UA, UIHC, that's a, it's sort of going both ways it's an ideal way to get people both ways um and North Liberty has limited currently has limited public trans, transit itself that really helps get people into Iowa City as well it's hard for me to see a downside for it when you think of equity when you think of the environment and i'll add an anecdote of my own it's like my, when my parents first moved here in, in the very early 1950s they took the crantic up to cedar rapids to look for their first car so,
1: so.
6: Yeah, i really think now is the time especially with the the infrastructure bill and i you know the idea of um population growth I think of it also from a safety perspective in addition to an equity perspective you know we we're gonna know i think it behooves us to look at ways to get vehicles off of the road as, as often as we can just for safety for climate and i think the economic development benefits are are very attractive too
0: But again, by having representatives from each community, each community can, you know, deal with what, you know, what's positive about the community as far as the use of it, but they're also in a position to bring up the negatives and maybe we better think about that in terms of this. That way you get a comprehensive look at all sides
1: involved. Agreed.
4: I agree. The, um, I look at this uh, from an operative perspective, because usually I'm responsible for running these things, the van pools, the buses, you know, the parking. And so we have really finite, granular data about people's behaviors coming to the university and the times and things like that. But Megan, I agree with you. The timing is right. There's a lot of excitement about the transportation bill and the funding. And I'm sort of inspired by this. I, I, I do have my reservations, but I mean, just hearing the stories and your guys' feedback um, is very enlightening to me. Um, so, from the university perspective, obviously we have a new president. And I can't speak for the entire university, but I do know that it's wise to at least explore this. And if there is some funding, federal or other, to assist and defray that capital investment, we would be silly not to at least um, chase it down and, and start. But I agree with you. You know, we will, at the university especially, probably my department and our, and our team. You know, definitely beat it up and make sure it works for us. It has to because we can't, you know, obviously responsibly move into this. So. We're excited. So thank you. And for all the, the talks, um, today, I really appreciate it. I'd
6: like to say something, please, please, please sir. those nice people, those Johnson County board of supervisors has allocated $100,000 to investigate the transportation for FY 23. So let's get the ball rolling.
1: And Johnson County helped pay for the studies as well. Yeah. Any other comments?
0: I really appreciate your input on this one, so finally get it moved off base here and go with it. Exciting.
1: Yeah, thanks to the DOT for coming. Um, yes. uh-huh. And I think what I'll do, we've got a pretty full agenda usually in January, but we will at least come up with something to share with you, some action steps maybe for the following meeting or some questions for you all to get some direction. But we'll at least have it on the agenda and we'll have thought through it a little bit more intelligently, so it okay. be great. Thank you. Frank, you're up. <laughs>
5: Uh, Frank Waseth, associate and transportation planner. Uh, tonight I just have a brief update on the uh, local traffic volumes. Since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, staff has been monitoring traffic in the metro area, relying on data from the DOT's automatic traffic recorders, which they have located um, throughout the state and in, the, uh, including a couple in the Iowa City area. So we analyzed peak hour traffic and 72 hour traffic. Um, the traffic counts that we normally collect for our studies for all the member agencies, um, and based on that data and historical data from these sites, we're able to see a massive dip, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, and a slow recovery, um, kind of outlined in that graph that's included in the memo. Um, And for the months of September uh, 2020 through May 2021, we, um, as traffic was rebounding slightly um, um, towards the um, baseline average, we adjusted our own traffic counts for that time to be able to give a realistic view of what a full volume of traffic would be for those traffic studies. Since May of this year, uh, traffic volumes um recorded at these locations have returned to their pre-pandemic levels um, and we've stopped uh, or any adjustments for our local counts we've continued to monitor um, these locations as well as just the, the monthly average daily traffic which is shown in the graph there. Um, so we'll continue to keep an eye on that. It looks like everything has kind of rebounded in this belt year time frame um, so we don't expect any more massive dips but if you guys have any questions um regarding this data and, and in any particular location for any community we'd be uh, happy to share that
1: questions for frank thank yeah, you yeah i think probably we all feel what frank just mentioned i mean it seems like traffic's pretty much back to pre-pandemic levels and, and in fact it really is so uh and after i just got done telling you all not to worry about ridership for the rail uh, it is important for your communities because of our road use tax funds so road use tax funds were way down uh during the pandemic and they've pretty much rebounded for the most part which is good news for Mm -hmm. for the financial coffers
0: okay and approaching the podium is sarah go (laughs) for it kid
9: here i am annually to talk about the severson charity challenge uh for this holiday season um we've been doing the charity well we have been doing the charity challenge for um nine years in honor of Linda Severson that someone that many of you probably recall um uh in her honor and each community um does its own uh fundraising to help um the local mostly the local food banks um in addition to um valley view lodge and iowa city working with the joan buxton children's aid fund last year we did something different during the pandemic um, you know that a lot of our communities the staff who 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 do the fundraising um a lot of us were not working from the office during the pandemic and so the mpo took up a different effort last year and did the trails to table challenge didn't raise as much money as we normally um, raise when all of the communities are involved but um so I'm just here to see uh, what you want to do this year. Um, we can go back to what we were doing before, um, but it's entirely up to the board.
1: Yeah, so historically, everybody has kind of done their own thing. And as Sarah mentioned last year, we just switched it over to what we called the Severson Charity Challenge, where staff essentially rode, walked, biked, ran, uh, all the, the trail mileage basically in town. And, yeah. and it, it, was, it was successful. Uh, we could even do that again. but. Yep um we assumed maybe that the communities would want to maybe flip back to what we had done pre-pandemic we've also given the option in the past we know everybody's busy this time of year and we know everybody gives other charities and that sort of thing too so we've also given the option to to not continue doing the levers the linda severson challenge but uh we can do whatever whatever the board would like to do
0: the particular issue that i'm seeing is it seems like we have a steady report of our food banks getting hit on pretty hard
9: the need is still there for sure
0: and I would I would rather go back to that right now because there is a substantial need out there in any community that's just sitting here
9: Yep, Yep. way too much food insecurity yes so you want to carry on with what we traditionally did with the involvement from the different staffs from the different communities traditional
1: okay Okay. so Sarah will reach out to the the clerks and And kind of share the information with them that sounds great thank you it's a great thing you know and we are at the end motion to adjourn i do i do have one other thing sorry mr chair Uh, i separated this i will i'll be quick uh some of you we were being coy earlier about uh the item where we were putting frank's name on basically the FDA documents and his ability to execute those documents. But the reason is that Brad Newman is retiring. So after 31 years (laughs) at the MPO, Brad's retiring at the end of December. Congratulations. Uh, Brad's going to be hard to replace. On a personal note, I've worked with Brad for 15 years, and uh, I couldn't imagine a better person to work with. And uh, as many of you know from working with Brad, uh, he's the consummate professional. So he'll be missed. And uh, I did some quick addition so we meet fairly infrequently we meet about seven times a year for the board and if you add that up seven times a year times the 31 years brad's been here uh he basically could have done one of these every day for a working year which is pretty incredible
0: final shot at everybody <laughs> <laughs>
3: it's been- 31 years, I've seen a lot of changes uh, in 31 years, uh, which you yeah. know to be part of a lot of those of working with this group.
0: And When's your final day?
3: End of December, 30th
1: of December. Okay. End of the year. I asked if he wanted to be a consultant and he said no. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna have to do it without him. Yeah. Okay. With that, motion to adjourn.
0: So moved. Is there a second? We have a second. All those in favor, say aye. 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 All not wanting to go
1: home, say <laughs> no. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Good to see you.